You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They can't be the Packers. No. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. Follow me on Twitter at JJLAHEY. Uh, shoot me messages on there. I apologize, I've been a little bit slow responding recently. I've had some feedback from you guys on the Grading or Mock Drafts episode I did two weeks ago. That was a blast. Um, had uh, quite a few people uh, who chimed in with their own mock drafts that they wanted me to do or shared some thoughts on some of the prospects that I had shared. Super appreciate everybody who reached out. I'm going to try and get caught up on some of the uh, remaining messages that I still have not replied to, but there's more coming in. Like this one, uh, Tater12 said, I think I caught your attention with Cedric Tillman. Yes, you did. I liked him a lot. I think he's faster than a 4-5 athlete, at least play speed. I could buy that. Uh, he's really good on comebacks and deep balls, plus he fits the Packers' physical profile. Yes, he does. Um, you know, that that is a thing. There certainly is, is a lot that you can draw from 40 times. Um, but, I mean, just think about, like, MVS, all right? <laughs> How often did you actually see his top-end speed when he was playing? It didn't really show up. Um, unlike Christian Watson, who... I think plays at that blazing fast speed that we saw, you know, and not that the MVS couldn't do it, but I mean, when you are watching the Packers play in 2022, Christian Watson just like leaps off your screen. Cause he's just burning down the field. Eric Stokes, um, I think maybe, uh, fits a little bit more into the MVS profile where you're like, all right, we know he can run crazy fast because he, has done it. We've clocked him. And I can think of like a play, like, you know, when, uh, when Stokes was playing Deandre Hopkins and kind of got beat and then Hopkins takes off, like Stokes caught up to him and then was able to draw the hands to the face penalty, uh, which was awesome. Like I, I, that memory does stick out to me that he once in a while would display that blazing speed. And then on the flip side, you've got, got guys like Cedric Tillman. I'm trying to think, um, who else 
you know, even Devante and, um, man, I'd say, I'd say Romeo Dobbs, guys who, like the official numbers would tell you, eh, they're okay. They're good, not great when it comes to their top end speed. But then you watch them play football and you're like, man, man, I don't know. Uh, you guys are pretty fast. Uh, Cooper Cup was one of those dudes. So the Rams used GPS. Uh, data to clock how fast he was running. I think they used, you know, the, the AWS numbers and determined that, like, even though he had run a bad 40 at the combine, they said, no, look, we have him in game running blazing fast. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously when you watch Cooper Cup play in the NFL, he's a fast dude. So I, yeah, Cedric Tillman, I think could be in that mold. Um, Cedric and uh, Jalen Hyatt is the other uh, Tennessee wide receiver. I like both of those guys a lot. <sighs> We're going to get off on a tangent if I'm not careful, because I do want to talk about wide receivers. Um, this is this is a year where I think that wide receiver is a dire need, similar to last year, but just like I've, I've talked a lot on Twitter and on this podcast about how we just don't have the numbers that you need. We've got basically two wide receivers. And then you got a couple of scratch off tickets in Samori Toure and, you know, whoever else is going to be populating the bottom of the roster, or I should say the bottom of the depth chart there, that you hope maybe you get an Al Lazard type of guy who will pop and, and then be a real contributor. And the reality is you're, you're probably a lot more likely to have a bunch of Juwan Winfrey's who we hype up a lot and, really get excited about and then they just never actually deliver on the field. So that's, that's just the reality. Um, even if we bring back Cobb or Lazard, you need another body in that room. We just don't have enough. And, and even last year, you know, we had Sammy in addition to the guys I've just been mentioning and it just wasn't enough bodies you know, you had some injuries pop up and you were instantly so hurt at the position. You can't be that thin there. And then even without injuries, you know, Watson and Romeo, you love both of them. But two just isn't enough. You need a third capable receiver. And as I've talked about uh, on the pod, I, I don't know how much we can really take to the bank that Dobbs is going to be a reliable seat receiver going forward. Certainly some really encouraging stuff in his rookie season. Same with Christian. Like, you know, in, in terms of what Christian did in his rookie season, I have no complaints. I don't look at anything he did and say, eh, I don't know. I still have re- reservations. Any reservations I do have about Christian are just the ones that I would have about any rookie who comes in and plays well in year one. And then you, you have to, demonstrate that you can do that a second time. You know, uh, how much of what Christian did is sustainable. We know that his reception to touchdown ratio is unsustainable. People don't do that. And even Christian did not do that for the whole season. He had like five games stretch where he was just burning. It probably wasn't even five games. It was probably four games where he just was just torching um, the reception to touchdown numbers and he's getting two touchdowns every single game. And that's fantastic. And it's unsustainable. 
Like even even the best wide receivers don't do that. If you extrapolate that out over the course of a whole season, you just don't do that. And even Christian didn't do that for the whole year. And I'm not saying that Christian is not as good as we think he is. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying is what he did last year enough to carry the whole wide receiver room this year? Nobody would say that. So I have a lot of interest in who we can add to the receiver room this year. I think it's a thin wide receiver class. And so I enjoy finding guys like Cedric Tillman who are not at the top of a lot of people's draft boards, but have all the tools to get you excited. And I think that the success with Christian Watson has opened me up a little bit more. And, and, and T Higgins is another guy. Like I really hated T Higgins as a draft prospect and man, he's, he's proved me wrong. He has done a fantastic job in the NFL. I think T Higgins and Christian Watson are both guys who had all the traits, and I looked at him and said, I just don't feel like I can trust you at the next level to be a dependable wide receiver in the pros. And you know what? The fact that those guys both turned out gives me a lot more confidence in taking some more swings at those type of players in this draft class. And and by the way, I hope you went – and listen to last week's podcast where we, I talked to uh, Nathan Baird about all the Ohio State guys. You know, we spent half the podcast talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I, I don't think I said it on that podcast, but I have certainly said it on Twitter. Um, I, I think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is an okay NFL draft prospect. All right. I think he is a much better Packers prospect. I, I just think that the way he could potentially fit in with our wide receiver room is like a hand in a glove. Um, and I was uh, uh, very proud when I tweeted that out and um, our own Jake Shavink immediately uh, agreed with me because uh, Jake is very smart. And so <laughs> if I say something about the draft and he agrees with me, uh, it makes me feel a lot better about my uh, theory. Um, I, I think that Jackson uh, unlike any other draft pros- uh, wide receiver draft prospect available this year, I think he has some of those Devontae qualities. He's got a good release. He really can hurt you in space. He changes direction really well. Uh, I think he does a really good job of route running. <sighs> very, very smart player. Um, the, Ohio State didn't really use him on like punt returns, but he looks like a punt returner, like a really good punt returner after he catches a pass on a route and then takes off just the way he just makes everybody miss. It's like, uh, you know, whatever air yardage you're going to get is great. (laughs) And you know, you're happy about that, but what you're really excited for and really holding your breath for is what he's going to do after the catch that, uh, that yards after the catch ability that Jackson has, that is his special power. You know, and, and I think that uh, this is one of the things I look for a lot in draft prospects is what is that one really special trait that you have? And for Jackson, it is his ability to just make a man miss and, and make a move. I think I already mentioned I really like his releases off the line of scrimmage. I just like what he can do in space underneath. He's just a really natural slot receiver. Um, I'm very much ready to move on from Randall Cobb. I would like to replace him with... Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think that Jackson would not be your new Randall Cobb. I think he would be your new Devontae Adams. And then Christian Watson would just be Christian Watson. He's not the new anything. He just is what he was last year. 
after they finally pulled him off of the freaking jet sweeps that were so stupid. <laughs> Not, I mean, it was nice when it would pay off, but when that was the only thing they had him do, that was frustrating. Um, when that was just like a fun wrinkle among all the other route running that he did, yeah, then I liked it. <laughs> but early on when it was just like, well, we have to get him on the field. What can we do? Like, he's so stupid. We can't actually throw the ball to him. Maybe if we have him uh, be a running back, then that would work. I was bitter about it. I just, I really did not enjoy that part of the season. Um, and I did not enjoy Christian Watson in that part of the season. And um, looking back, I think that that is somewhat unfair because I, I think in in retrospect, I would say I didn't enjoy the way the Packers treated Christian Watson. You know, they treated him like he was kind of a useless idiot. And so that kind of impacted how I viewed him. Um, And then, you know, the Dallas game comes along and it's like, hey, you know, he's been gone for a while. Why don't we actually use him as a wide receiver? Because, you know, we don't have any of those. And he allegedly played one in college. Why don't we have him play wide receiver? Oh, wow. It's really special. Let's just do this for the rest of the year. Yeah, that that was a lot more fun. Okay. Uh, I got three questions here I'm going to address uh, for the rest of the show because um, I think I think they're pretty fun. One, we're going to uh, kick it off with a question from Goose. And Goose was not asking me this. Actually, rereading it, there's not even a question in here. It's just a statement. But he, he posted a mock draft into a group chat that I'm in. Um, and it's like all offensive line. He says, this is the kind of draft I want. Keep swinging on O-line until it's a brick wall. Even if we assume Zach Tom is a hit at future left tackle, we need a good right tackle. Uh, tackle. Agreed. We have not had a right tackle since Brian Balaga. Center has been unreliable. Time to upgrade. I agree it's been unreliable. I don't know if I would say it's time to upgrade, but definitely Josh Myers has um, not been consistent. Then he said, let everyone else fight for right guard. It's interesting that, like, right guard, to me, I would say right guard feels like the least important offensive line position. Uh, Coach Hahn might come on here and fight me if I said that. But I, I just feel like, you know, your guy who won't work out anywhere else, like, just stick him at right guard and it'll work. Because, like, the left guard, you really want to be the pass-blocking technician. And although I, as someone who has never played Offensive line would say that pass blocking is easier than run blocking. The stakes are lower. Uh, no, higher. The stakes are higher. When you let a, uh, a pass rusher through, everybody notices it immediately. If you let a run defender through, everybody just says, well, the run didn't work. It, it's, it's, it's totally different. Um, and, we have a bunch of guys on the roster who I think can play right guard. And I, I still wonder if we're going to see Sean Ryan and what he can do. Um, he's got the physical tools. No idea what's going on there with him. You got Royce Newman, who I, I think um, it's it's kind of crazy that he couldn't work out at right guard in uh, 2021. And then, you know, basically just was, was a non-factor in 2022. I, I would say at this point, it does not look like he's, working out uh, as a draft pick. We still have a pile of guys. Uh, John Runyon can and has played right guard very well. Um, I don't think we've ever seen Elton Jenkins at right guard other than like a snap or two here or there. 
but but it is it is interesting just thinking about where everybody would slot in and it's like everybody's backup position is right guard um zach tom uh is maybe the one guy i would never want on the right side of the line i i know we've put him over there but i just he's 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 so small you want your right side of your line to be your run blocking guys your big bruisers he is a small technician all right i i am i have no problem with david bakhtiari going on twitter every few months and defending some small offensive lineman and saying like, Oh yeah, they told me I was never going to work because I was too small. That's fine. Um, but let's make Zach Tom a, a, a young new David Bakhtiari, keep him at left tackle or left guard. Um, he seemed like he was a really good center in college to me. If you got those three spots where I think he can play quite admirably at, I don't understand why we would take the one guy on our entire offensive line uh, depth chart who's not a big, huge, hulking bruiser who struggles at pass blocking and, and stick him over on the right side of the line. Like, we've got guys who can do that. I don't understand this desire to put Zach Tom at right tackle. And, and Goose was not saying that, but other people had. Goose actually mentioned it in here that he thought – Zach Tom might be hit a future left tackle. Um, and, and, and I would be interested in seeing Zach Tom at center and Josh Myers at right guard. I really would. Um, Nathan Baird mentioned on the podcast last week that Josh Myers started out as a guard and was kind of resistant at first to being moved to center. And I, th- I think he has struggled a bit, um, with the Packers at center with some of the centery things like, like the, the snapping is just so unreliable and inconsistent. And if he can't get that cleaned up like this spring, I am not interested in putting him back at center again. Just like you can't have a guy at center who can't snap the football. What are we doing here? I like Josh Myers. I want to see him succeed. I liked him at Ohio state. I have nothing against the guy except for the fact that like every 10 snaps, is a, a disaster. Why, why can't he snap the football? Maybe it's because he's a guard, not a center. I, I guess that's what I would say to, to Josh Myers and just challenge him to, Hey, you know what? If you think you're a center instead of a guard, figure out how to snap the football consistently every single time. Uh, but here was Goose's uh, mock draft. He had us taking Georgia tackle Brock, uh, Broderick Jones at pick 15 in the second round, he has taken center John Michael Schmitz. I've, man, that is a guy who has been um, just catching fire in in Packers mock draft circles recently. Maybe the uh, Josh Myers frustration is building among the fan base. Not sure. Uh, John Michael Schmitz is a guy I uh, actually uh, Coach Hahn even was talking about him. He's uh, he's out of Minnesota, um, and I think that if you took if you took two early offensive lineman. I think I would just say that the improved offensive line play needs to lead to better offensive production overall. Because we did figure things out on the offensive line by the end of last year. I mean, it was super frustrating for a long time. 
But once we had Elton Jenkins back at left guard and he started to get healthy again, and we had David Bakhtiari back at left tackle and he was healthy, that really shored up a lot. And Yash Nyman stayed a liability at right tackle the whole year. I really like Yash as a backup swing tackle. I I just don't want him as a starter. And if he is going to be a starter, I just don't really want him at right tackle because he's a worse right tackle than he is a left tackle. And maybe this is an uninformed take. All right, this is just a podcast. I'm just ranting. But he's he's been so much better at left tackle for his entire career than he's ever been at right tackle ever. And yeah, the stakes are way higher at at left tackle than at right, but he doesn't really get beat at left tackle very much. I pulled up his weekly grades on PFF, and, and this year was basically tied with last year for the best year of his career with a 63.1 this year, 63.2 last year overall grade. He played left tackle weeks one through six. The worst grade he had during that time was 53.1 against Tampa in week three. Outside of that, he pretty much was grading oh, at about a 68. He had his first two games of the season were 70.9 and 70.1. Then he had two struggle games against Tampa Bay, 53.1, and then 58 against the, the Patriots, but it was a step in the right direction, and then back up to 68.8 against the Giants. And he was fine then again until he was switched to right tackle against the Commanders. And he was okay against the Commanders. 61.7 grade. Then he follows that up with a 52.3 against the Bills. And for the rest of the season, he did have a three-game stretch from Tennessee, Philadelphia, and Chicago where he was about a 66, which is fine um, for him. It's not fine in general. It's fine for him. Then, nosedive, 52.6 against the Rams. Then he had his best game of the season, 71.4 against Miami. After that, 60.4 against the Vikings, which was his worst grade since the Lions game. And then a 35.4 against the Lions and was benched halfway through that game for Zach Tom, who came in and finished the game for him. Um, if, if Matt LaFleur or Adam Stenovich or, uh, Luke Butkus want to roll back in here and stick Yash Nyman back at right tackle as the presumed starter, I want to slap them across the mouth, slap some sense into their head. Come on. What are we doing here? This this was a disaster. Now, Goose also wants to take Sean Tucker, the running back out of Syracuse. And um, I don't know much about Sean Tucker, but I just don't know why we would take Sean Tucker when we're taking B. John Robinson at pick 15. I am speaking that into existence. I want B. John so bad. I want to trade Aaron Jones. I wanted to trade Aaron Jones a year ago, by the way. But I want to trade Aaron Jones. I think you can still get a first-round pick out of Aaron Jones. And I want no part at all. I love Aaron Jones as a person. I want no part of kicking $20 million in salary cap down the road 
and and paying for Aaron Jones after he's already gone. We've been down this road with Zadarius Smith. We've been down this freaking road with Billy Turner. You don't do it. People said I was an idiot for wanting to cut Zadarius Smith. And yeah, I didn't know that he was going to go become a crazy person. I didn't know that. And I didn't know that the the injuries that he was dealing with, which we knew about, I didn't know that that was going to prevent him from playing the season at all. But man, we sure ended up paying a ton of of dead money for a guy who didn't play for us. And even if Aaron Jones does play for us, which which I think he would, I'm I'm not interested in paying more money to one running back than we are paying to our entire wide receiver and tight end room. That's absurd. And it's not even like the rushing production has been very good. Yeah, the running backs are the best part of our offense. And it's still not good. So I, I I did a whole episode on this. I'm I am totally unwilling, totally completely count me out of bringing back Aaron Jones. Um, I love the guy, but man, I mean he's he we are gonna in just a couple weeks here, his nine and a half million dollar I think roster bonus is gonna kick in. That's money that we already that we don't owe him yet. Oh, and we already owe him. We already owe him uh, like seven and a half million plus. We have dead cap from uh, kicking out money from from the past couple of years. It's a, over a twenty million dollar cap hit for a running back. The, the, it, it it would be if they didn't um, restructure it, which they will. Of course, they'll restructure it, but that doesn't mean paying less. It means paying less now and paying more later. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. If they didn't restructure it, this would be the biggest salary cap hit in history for a running back. For a guy who had two rushing touchdowns last year. He had five receiving touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. Over $20 million for that. I don't hate Aaron Jones. I love Aaron Jones. I wish that we could just rewind the clock and have a young Aaron Jones who's cheap and and keep that forever. That would be nice. We don't have that. Okay. Too long on the goose thing. Uh, next one. 
uh, we got from uh, Chris Giacome, who wanted to single out that uh, NFL Draft Buzz website that I was citing last year. He said that he doesn't think they update the site very much. So I I see your concern. Um, I was not able to verify that they don't update the site very much. I, I checked a bunch of prospects out and seemed like there was a lot of up-to-date information on here. Um, however, I will do a better job going forward of cross-checking with some other sites if we have some questions about uh, numbers or um, observations that uh, that that may need some verification on some other resources. So we'll do that. There are um, I, I'm I'm a little bit of a uh, the Draft Network fan. I, I I just really like how they do their scouting reports. But um, CBS is one that I I tend to check out a lot. I like Sports Illustrated. Um, a lot of people don't like Walter Football. I do. Uh, I like Charlie on there a lot. And what I tend to do is look at the uh, sort of highs and lows from all of these different sites, you know, that may mention like, hey, he, he seems to struggle with this, you know, uh, maybe a agility or um, high point, high point catches, that kind of stuff. And then I, I, if it's a player that I really am interested in, I go watch um, some highlights first, just to kind of get excited about like, what are the, um, you know, the, the top end moments, uh, and, and what, what are the exciting skills and, uh, you know, the cool bag of tricks that you bring as a player. Then at that point, what I will usually do is, um, I will check out PFF and look at, uh, what were the highest and lowest graded games of the season for them. And I'll grab like one of each particularly if it's against um, a, a really big program. And then uh, take to YouTube and, and try and find um, some tape from, from that game or, or find a, a game that I can access. And then I, I tend to just look for those things and see how much I agree. Like, hey, you know, Charlie over at Walter Football says that, uh, you know, this guy is really um, – really stiff coming out of his brakes. I look for that. If it's something that really matters to me, I look for it, try and see like, yeah, you know, it, it is kind of consistently happening and it has me wondering, you know, if that is something that we actually can correct at the next level or not. And this really isn't why I brought up Chris's uh, message to me though. He brought up Jordan battle. He said, uh, NFL draft buzzes. Jordan battle take is still mostly his preseason take. Because this year, his film dropped off. I actually disagree with that. I think that Jordan Battle got way more consistent this year. In 2021, he was uh, really flashy in a couple of moments. And he had a bunch of really bad games. In 2022, I, I thought maybe the one game where you would say he sort of struggled was Tennessee, which makes sense. They got their pants beat off in uh, in the Tennessee game. Um, Hendon Hooker and his weird offense and his army of um, confusing to evaluate but very exciting wide receivers absolutely tore Bama to shreds. And Jordan struggled in that game. He had 
He had a missed tackle in that game. Um, he was only targeted once, according to PFF, and gave up nine yards. But I think if you watch him play in that game, he had 62 snaps as a free safety. He w- he never felt aggressive to me in that game. Um, he seemed kind of terrified of making a, a mistake. and he, he was um, kind of the anti... Oh, what's that? what's that guy's name? Uh, Brian Branch, kind of the anti-Brian Branch who just comes in and lays you out and is constantly looking to make that big hit. I felt like Jordan Battle, especially in that game, um, seemed like he was just hanging back way too long and, and letting other guys make pay- plays. And I didn't love that. And I felt in 2021 that he was a very hot and cold prospect. And for the most part in 20, did I say 2021? Yeah. For the most part, in 2022, I felt like he was um, just kind of more consistent and even keeled throughout the whole game. Whole season, sorry. And if you look at scouting reports, they kind of consistently mention him as a guy who is unimpressive as a blocker. Um, His angles aren't great. The anticipation isn't great. And then the tackling form is not great. Uh, kind of tackles a little bit like uh, Kevin King. <laughs> Doesn't wrap up as much as you'd like. Um, and for that reason, um, you know, especially if you're if you're thinking about the Kevin King days, you're thinking about what you saw out of Darnell Savage's past year. Um, there is some stuff to not be super excited about there uh, about Jordan Battle. Uh, aside from the tackling, I think he's a really fantastic player. Um, I, uh, you can, you can coach better tackling and I think you absolutely have to, uh, but he has the, uh, physical attributes that you'd like. I don't think he's lacking there at all. And he's a smart player, but I'll go ahead and, and share with you the rest of, uh, Chris Giacome's, uh, thoughts on Jordan battle and the, uh, safety class, because I, I like his observations here. He said, I think uh, Christopher, Christopher Smith, on the other hand, had some all-star film this year. Christopher Smith, kind of a smaller guy out of Georgia, um, but it just in terms of what kind of a player he is, man, there is nothing lacking. Very, very well-rounded player. Uh, the only questions that you have, I th- I would say, would be his size. He's under six foot. He's 5'11", 194 pounds. That's, you know, it's on the smaller side. Uh, especially for, uh, you know, for the type of safety that I like, the big bodied safety. Um, I, I love what's between the ears for Christopher Smith, and he's probably going to be very good in the NFL. Uh, but I would not be surprised to see Brian Gutekunst kind of just shy away from a smaller guy. Um, I just, Christopher Smith lacks, to me, lacks a, a, some strength and explosiveness, uh, kind of lacks, um, some of that ability to, um, you know, let's say, for example, you're covering a tight end and you got this smaller safety. I, I think that that is a, a concern to me. Um, is he going to make up enough ground with his anticipation to make up for that he is so much smaller than uh, than some of the players he's going to be asked to cover? I just don't love it. Uh, but very, very talented player. Chris says he had all-star film this year. I'm not sure if it is important to note the battle was a strong safety. Smith was a free safety and Branch was a slot corner. 
Um, well, Battle may have been listed as a strong safety, but he certainly played a lot of free safety. I mean, that Tennessee game I mentioned to you, he played 62 snaps as a free safety. Let me see here. On the whole season, uh, free safety. Yeah, the lowest number of snaps he ever played as a free safety was in week four. He played 31 snaps as a free safety. So he, he still spent, spent a substantial amount of time there. And that was, uh, higher than, um, his, uh, slot rates every single week. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Brian Branch was a slot corner. Interesting. Uh, yes, that is accurate. He played almost exclusively in the slot. He played 20 snaps in the box twice in weeks six and seven. But I mean, that was it. He was a slot corner. It's interesting that he's being listed as a safety. Uh, six foot, 193. Hmm, interesting. Chris says, but given our luck with safety, has not been great, I'd rather take a chance on some round, round three guy for, or round three or later guy from a few years ago who gets cut than take anyone in this class. Maybe someone in the back end of the draft like Kayvon Merriweather. If we take a DB, make it a cornerback because this class is looking nice. I admittedly, I have not dove into the cornerbacks at all. I couldn't tell you hardly anything about this cornerback class. So that'll be interesting to get into. Um, Kayvon Merriweather. Let's look at him. Six foot, 212 pounds, big boy out of Iowa. Of course, they had a fantastic, uh, defense. Overall, his grades were never super high this past season, but he finished with an 88.1 overall. That is uh, certainly, um, an admirable grade in college. Total of 12.5% missed tackles on the season. That's just seven missed tackles to 42 total tackles. 17 run stops. He was targeted 26 times, gave up 11 receptions for 87 yards. This is is a pretty uh, respectable season on the whole form. What was his passer rating when targeted? Um, 11.7. I can't imagine (laughs) targeting this guy over the course of the whole season. Quarterbacks came away with an average 11.7 passer rating when they were targeting Kayvon Merriweather. That is pathetic. Well done, Kayvon. Wow. And zero penalties on the season for him. All right. Um, definitely putting Kayvon on the list of guys to watch. I've not watched him yet. Really had not um, been super uh, excited about looking at him. But he played well last year, 75.6 grade. Similar stats across the board. Um, he played about uh, two-thirds of the snaps that he played in 2022. Um, his coverage grade was an 89.3 in 2022. That is the one that really skyrocketed. Um, and he had three interceptions, four pass breakups. Um, I'm going to look at uh, what the draft network has to say about strengths and weaknesses. Um, and this will kind of inform, like I said, what I'm going to be looking for when I watch him. And uh, maybe some of you guys want to look at him as well. Well, before we wrap this up, we'll, we'll figure out which games we want to watch. Uh, let's see. Top reasons to buy in. Solid body control and physicality. Good athlete with speed, sufficient downhill tackler. Top reasons for concern. Lack of wow factor production. I disagree with that. Pursuit angles need improvement. 
alignment issues. Uh, I'll be honest, alignment issues is not something that I am qualified to scout, so I can't tell you about that one. Um, I don't like this uh this overall report. It's just not very in depth here. He does say I think Merriweather is a solid Big Ten safety overall. And has the athleticism, physicality, and body control to play on Sundays. He has shown a lot of promise in his consistency as a run defender. He's a competitor and wins, but I'm not sure if he dominates enough to be an everyday starter in the league. Uh, okay, so let's see here. Let's check out what Sports Illustrated has to say. Who else did one on them? There's a bunch of uh, bunch of sites where Kayvon Merriweather is just missing from their... We just haven't done him yet. Uh, here's the Athletic... NFL draft buzz. We'll check them. I like I said, I always like their their highs and lows. Uh, let's see here. Strength, fluid mover, mover with decent speed. Okay. Uh, let's see. What about non non physical stuff? Um, good and good instincts and anticipation reads. Reacts with discipline. Dangerous with the ball in his hands. Uh, he only had the ball in his hands, I think, three times this year. So um, I don't know. If that's as a as a safety. Dangerous with the ball in his hands. That's just maybe maybe you're thinking about him on special teams as a returner. I don't know. I I don't know why you care about a safety's skill with the ball in his hands. The one thing that does stick out to me is he he is a little bit short. The fact that he's 212 pounds makes me feel better about his shortness, but he is still a little short. Um, here we go. Has poor recognition skills when facing action in zone coverage. Opens his his hips too early and allows himself to get turned around in coverage. That that would be uh, concerning to me. Has only average long speed and body flexibility. Okay, I'm going to watch this guy. Uh, if you guys want to watch him too, Kayvon Merriweather. Let's see, which games look like they were the most interesting for him this year? So um, his best game easily is Ohio State. 84.5 coverage grade. That was his highest coverage grade of the year. He had two run stops. He was targeted three times, um, allowed two receptions for 15 yards, zero interceptions. Um, it's interesting to me. I mean, yes, he was going up against really good receivers, but it's interesting that this is the highest coverage grade of the season, and he still allowed two out of three uh, receptions on the day. Um, but this is definitely the game to watch Ohio state. Uh, that was his highest graded game of the year overall. And in just in coverage. Now the previous week against Illinois, I got to watch Illinois play Michigan in person this year. And they are a fun team. They run the ball super well. And, uh, Kevin Merriweather had a poor run defense grade in that game. And I think that'll be interesting to see him kind of get pushed around by a uh, an NFL running back and a very good offensive line um, and, and see what mistakes he was making. And if the, we think that these are things that are um, going to be easily corrected going forward. But he still had a good coverage rate in that game. So that might be even the more interesting game to watch than Ohio State. But those are definitely the two games of the season that you want to watch. So I'm going to start with Illinois and then finish up with Ohio State. Um, if you watch Kayvon Merriweather, uh, send me some thoughts on, uh, what you see. I think that'll be interesting to talk about. Um, all right. This is the last thing that I'm getting out here. Uh, this was a question that came through on Twitter earlier today. This comes from Austin Holmes. 
See, Kenny Clark definitely fell off. Is the defense asking him to do something different than he did when he was great? He lost a lot of weight last season, or last offseason. Uh, that is true. He definitely shed some weight. So I immediately tagged uh, Sam Holman on this because uh, Sam knows so much about the Packers' defense. And um, if he was being asked to do different things this year compared to, say, last year, Sam would know. He said, I think they, Sam said, I think they wanted him to play more of a penetrating upfield role. Maybe why he lost weight. But it seemed to backfire because his supporting cast couldn't pick up the slack in terms of controlling multiple blocks and gaps. Okay. Um, so let's take a look real quick at Kenny Clark's grades. I gotta tell you, this season was horrific from Kenny. This was easily the worst season of his entire career. Worse than his rookie season. He played 807 snaps. And he got five sacks. He had 45 total tackles, which is the fourth lowest of his career. Um, eight, just 18 run stops, which is the second lowest of his career since his rookie season. He was penalized three times. Hit a 66.4 overall defensive grade. His second lowest was his rookie season, 74.8. So significantly worse than his second lowest. This was also his worst run defense grade of his career, 53. His second worst was last year, 56.7. This was his second, sorry, his third worst tackling grade of his career. Um, however, the last four years in a row, he's been a really bad tackler. Uh, from 2019 through 2022, he has never graded out higher than 48 in tackling. Uh, in terms of pass rush, uh, this year was um, about on par with what he's done since 2020. Uh, but 2018, 2019 is when he was an elite pass rusher. And he's kind of just been good since then as a pass rusher. Uh, the problem is he, he contributed nothing else as a pass rusher this year. Now, if you look at last year, uh, you'll see something that you see a lot of years, which is um, he may get off to kind of a, a good start for the first few weeks and then take a dip. And then um, through about like October, uh, really the end of, of, of November, he's kind of subpar and then really comes alive in December. That happens every single year. And last year it was uh, week 14 against Chicago when he came alive. 73.4 grade in that week. That was following a 50.1 the, the, the previous week. He had been in the 50s and 40s for a month straight prior to that, and he finished the rest of the whole season never going below a 70. He had a pretty strong finish to the season. If you look at 2020, you see a similar sort of a, a dip, except it was slightly earlier. And his dip uh, in 2020 was more like September through October. And then by about November, he was playing well and continued to play well for the rest of the season. Even going back to 2019, you see this. Uh, again, week 12 was his last really bad game in the 2019 season. With the exception of, of course, the uh, NFC Championship game where Raheem Mostert did whatever he wanted because of the San Francisco uh, offensive line. Of course, Kenny had a bad game 
in that because the entire defensive line was horrific. But minus that one game, uh, from weeks 13 through the divisional round of the playoffs, uh, Kenny played quite well in 2019. Now you fast forward though to this past year, 2022. He had a strong start. His first three weeks of the season, 70, 78, 87, had a bad week against New England, 48, but rebounded with a 77 against the Giants. 69 against the Jets. At this point, I think you're still really satisfied overall with the exception of his run defense is kind of crap. And I'm going to uh, jump back and see. This has been a thing. So in 2021, he really only had two good games against the run. That was week two against Detroit and week five against Cincinnati. The rest of the year, he was kind of bad against the run. 2020. Week seven and week 10 and the... NFC Championship game against Tampa. Three really good games against the run. The rest of the year, he was kind of crap against the run. 2019, week one and two, week 15, week 17, and the divisional round of playoffs against uh, Seattle before falling apart against the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. So he had... Uh, that's that's five good games against the run. Really six. I guess I should mention the Giants. Six good games against the run out of, what, 18 games? So a third of his games were good against the run in 2019. So he's never been a good run defender. But in 2022, he had one, one week of the whole season where he was actually good against the run. That was week 11 against Tennessee. The rest of the year, uh, he did manage a 73 run defense grade against Tampa. That's fine. But when that's the second best grade of the entire season, I'm pretty frustrated. And that's it. That, that really is it. Um, but so for the first six, even seven weeks of the year, seven against Washington, he's got a 62.2. For the first seven weeks of the year, I think you're mostly okay with how he's been playing. And then he craters. And he's in the 30s against Buffalo and Detroit, has a 40s game against Dallas, um, plays in the 60s against Tennessee due to that good run defense grade I mentioned, back down in the 40s against Philly with that god-awful 40-point game that the defense gave up that Jordan Love should have been able to win that game, but the defense just was wet toilet paper in that game. And he was never good again except for the Minnesota game, 89.9. Again, he sucked against the run in that game, but his pass rush grade was up at a 91.2. He had one sack, four tackles, a hit, two hurries, uh, sorry, four total pressures and, and one sack. And then, uh, let me see here. Tackles. He had one tackle. He was bad all year. And you saw him get better toward the end of the season when the offense was really coming alive. You saw him doing well early on in the season. It really seems to me, you know, and, and Sam has his, uh, his answer about him, uh, quote, playing more of a penetrating upfield role and playing at a lighter weight. And I think that probably certainly plays into it. And, and that makes sense. But Kenny Clark seems to have cratered when the team was losing. I think that he gave up. I, I think that he just was not trying. Um, you know, and, and sure, you could look at that and say, well, 
the team is playing like garbage, yeah, you would lose heart. Yeah, for sure. Other guys didn't lose heart. Um, I think too many of the team did lose heart, and that's why we could not get out of that losing streak. But that would be my my ultimate answer is that he was playing well in the beginning of the season, and then when the the offense really picked up and the team was winning again, he started playing better. But again, this is only pass rush. And if you look at weeks one through yeah one through seven, this is when his pass rush grade was at a seventy or higher. Then starting in week eight, this is against Buffalo. So this is now your one, two, three. This is you you've lost three games in a row, and then you're going into Buffalo. And at that point, I think he just quit trying. His his tackling grades. Um, for the whole season were either good or awful. There was no middle ground. It was either in the twenties or the seventies. His run defense was always awful. And then his pass rush, like I said, it was good for the first seven weeks. It was crap from weeks eight through 16. And then in week 17, he had that 91.2. And then against Detroit finished up with a 70.5. Really seems to me like it was all about, motivation and energy and belief. And that seemed to be a problem with most of the defense. You even saw that with Jair. I mean, Kenny and Jair were two guys that I was ripping on for a long time in the season because I thought they were both playing well below their ability. And Jair, I think, figured things out in the Minnesota game as well. Um, You know, not that he... That was the first time he had played well. Uh, Jair Kine was figuring things out prior to that, but then that Minnesota game was when he really came alive. And I just don't think it's a coincidence that the the defense all found a way to start playing well together again at the same time. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that it was motivational. Um, we do know, and and uh, you know, if you were listening to Sam's. Uh, Wisconsin Sports Heroics podcast every week, uh, like I was. It was a very good show. He was breaking down what Joe Barry was changing on the defense from week to week, and I, and there were adjustments that were being made, and we know that the the corners and the um, uh, the the cornerbacks coach Jerry Gray were changing up how they were uh, how they were playing their coverage defense, and I think that made a difference. Uh, I seem to recall that they started blitzing a lot more toward the end of the season as well. But but the biggest thing was that the I, I think that the defense didn't believe for a long time. I think that they were frustrated and felt like it doesn't matter how good we play, our offense is not going to go win us games. And it wasn't until they were on that hot winning streak toward the end that you saw everybody really all finally come together and, and play well. So I think Kenny Clark can still be a very good player in the right situation. And that right situation has to be when he feels inspired and motivated to play well. So I don't know when, when the whole team is losing, the whole team starts to lose. That's, that's the thing. All right. Um, well, we'll see. I, uh, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, man, you really got to wonder what kind of quite, uh, conversations, um, are going on inside of uh, inside the Packers organization right now as they're waiting for Aaron Rodgers to make his decision because apparently this week is when he's going on his darkness retreat, according to what he said on, on McAfee on Tuesday. Very interesting. I just don't know what the heck you do 
with Jordan Love at that point if if Rodgers is coming back because it's really hard to bring Rodgers back for just one year and you have to make a decision on Love's fifth year option on like May 1st or May 5th or something like that and if you don't pick up Love's fifth year option and you don't play him this year why would he come back to a team that has refused to play him for his entire rookie contract I just don't know that seems like a lot to ask You guys have a fantastic day. I will talk to you all next week here on the Packernet Podcast Network.